0: This program contains grown-up themes and language that the FCC doesn't like. Use your common sense. You're listening to Beautiful Red, a novel by M. Darusha Wayne. Find out more at darusha.ca slash beautifulred. Beautiful Red 13. The next day, Jack arrived a little early, hoping to catch a few minutes with Gilles. She rounded the corner to their shared cube and smiled broadly when she saw his craggy face. Morning, Jill," she said, throwing her jacket on the rack. Hey, yourself, Jill said. How was your weekend? She could have sworn that he winked at her. Pretty interesting, Jack said. I'll be giving you a full written report later. He laughed, and Jack smiled and lowered her voice. No, really, I'm not kidding. There have been a lot of developments since our little adventure, and I want to fill you in. Good, he said, packing up and getting ready to leave. I, on the other hand, he said, have nothing to report. He put on his jacket. You can read all about it today, he grinned and slapped Jack on the back. Later, dude. Jack watched him walk down the corridor and out of the office. She had been on days opposite Jill for a few years now, and they had developed a very cordial working relationship. They had their little jokes and amusements, they shared pet peeves about their fellow coworkers and made coded disparaging remarks about their bosses. They were pretty good work buddies. Jack didn't know anything about Jill at all. In fact, she had taken a huge risk in trusting him to help her with the break-in at Byside. She had taken the leap of faith and gone with what she knew of his personality from a couple of years of work jokes and funny reports. No one had come from internal to arrest her, so it seemed like her hunch had been correct. But only now did she recognize what a risk it had been. And it was the same with Adrian, Adrian who didn't even feel close enough to Jack to share physical world details. And these were her closest friends. Her only friends, really. It sure made a girl feel loved. Jack logged into the Bellow system and settled into the chair, taking a few seconds' luxury to feel it conform to her body. There was something almost decadent in the way the machines in the chair worked to make her comfortable. She ran the usual programs and started going through the messages and logs. She opened Jill's report and skimmed through his usual banter about boredom, colleagues, and missing lunches from the team fridge. Jack watched one of the logs scroll up and out of her view, not really seeing it but unconsciously monitoring it for anomalies through some sixth sense or mystical power generated through years of repetitive tedium. She usually daydreamed while she worked, an occupational hazard, but this time she thought about her work, her life, the strange situations she'd been in the last few days. Almost everyone's life was pretty much like hers. Day in, day out, go to a job, do some things for most of your time that feed into a bigger complex that ultimately makes money and power for the firm. The firm then gets bigger and more powerful, making more things for people just like Jack to do every day, and more things to buy and consume with their precious few days off every once in a while. And on those days off... What do all those free people do? They play games, go shopping, have sex, watch vids, pretty much all on the nets. Most people leave one cubicle at work to go sit in another cubicle they call home. Even the nets are essentially just virtual boxes to hide in. Store-shaped boxes, theater-style boxes, boxes filled with naked virtual bodies. Jack knew that the nets had the potential to offer almost limitless freedom within its confines. It wasn't real, so you could do anything. But it wasn't like that. Sure, there were pockets of rebellion and discontent, the underground boards that Jack's alter ego boxing jester frequented, for example. But the freedom to talk trash about the firms was one thing. The freedom to live an entire life unbound by the laws of either physics or men, that was another thing entirely. No such freedom was to be found in the nets. And Jack wondered why. She wondered how many people were satisfied with their lives how many even questioned if this was how they wanted to live. She snapped out of her reverie as a chime sounded. It was a message from Tony. Ugh, Jack thought. There is someone who knows what he wants out of life. All it takes is a pair of old shoes and he's happy. She answered the chime. Talk to me. Hey, Jack, Tony said. Have you seen the board by the break room? No, Jack answered, thinking he sounded more subdued than usual but still leery of getting embroiled in some long conversation about waistcoats and dirndles. "'I think Atamu and finance got us,' he said. "'Either that or we're in minor shit.' He broke the connection, and Jack became legitimately curious. She stood up and looked toward the break room. She could see something scrolling on the board next to the fridge, and a handful of people clustered around it. Jack wasn't a big crowd follower, but Tony's cryptic call had piqued her interest. She walked over to the break area and elbowed a path through the group. She stood before the board reading the notice. It was one of those ubiquitous office bulletin boards, a pale organic light-emitting diode screen that transmitted official notices, usually reminders to clean up after to yourself and so on. It was supposedly accessible only by the designated admin, but a decent practical joker could almost certainly circumvent the crappy security on the device. Jack was pretty confident this wasn't one of Otomo's gags, though. The sign read, Security Alert. Various items from the sub-basement 4 server room have been vandalized, stolen, or destroyed. There is no evidence of an outside intruder, but the logs for the time period in question have been destroyed. Please be aware that a full investigation will be launched into this incident. Anyone who has information about this situation, or any of the parties involved, must report to their supervisor immediately. Not bloody likely, Jack thought. Some of the people here might not be the kind of people she would choose for friends, but she didn't think any of them were likely to rat out a coworker. Although you never knew who would be willing to be an asshole in order to curry a mode of favor with the bosses. She looked around, eyeing the others to see if any of them looked like they were about to go running to the supervisor's room with accusations. Jack went back to her cubicle, slightly more suspicious of her co workers than she would like to admit. She didn't really think any of them were responsible but she was starting to fear that someone would try to pin the blame on someone else in order to get a gold star. She didn't like that, didn't like the idea of turning in your co-workers, and didn't like believing that any of them would actually do that. "'I wish I never walked over there,' she thought sulkily. She opened her messages and poked through the deleted items area, looking for any other information about this situation. She actually read every one of them, looking for more about the server room situation." There is nothing but the usual bullshit about logos, branding, and team-building exercises. She paged over to the Bellis internal news page, and its bright, sunny graphics of unnaturally happy-looking people in cubicles. She scanned through the profiles of random employees, like Meet Sandy, the New Eastern man who likes bunnies and plays competitive battle ogres. She skipped past the images of last month's birthday club from the payroll department a horrid mandatory five-minute affair each month with cake-style food bricks and free coffee. She found nothing in the internal news about the incident and finally decided that as a security officer class 5, it was her responsibility to find out if the sign was real or a very good hoax. She set her system to roaming and headed out of the security room. In theory, security staff could go anywhere in the Bellis building, still connected to the security system. All other positions had a shut-off at the door, to prevent people from wandering too far from their desks, Jack guessed, It was like making people come into an office in the first place. Ludicrous, but effective in breaking the spirit and bending the will. Still, as a security staffer, she could come and go as she pleased, as long as she could explain it in full detail to her supervisor. Whatever. She decided it was her job to find out if there really was a problem in subbasement 4 or not. She made it into the lobby without anyone asking what she was up to, which seemed strange enough. She caught the downlift and clung to its central posts as she rode the small platform down to the fourth floor below ground level. By the time she reached the ground floor, her system was being pinged by her boss. Jack answered and heard her supervisor, a man whose name she never learned, say, "'So, on a little jaunt are we?' His condescending tone always infuriated Jack, and she fought to keep her voice even." The admin signed by the security room break area may be malfunctioning. I'm checking to see if what it's reporting is real. I see, her boss said, obviously unaware of the sign or its message. There were enough levels of bureaucracy that it was common enough for the right hand to be oblivious to the left, so his lack of knowledge didn't surprise Jack. Well, I want a full report when you have investigated. And be sharp about it. Those logs don't read themselves, you know. He broke the connection and Jack stepped off the platform and into the lobby of sub-basement four. It was dank and dark, exactly what you'd expect of a floor that was almost exclusively occupied by machines. She marched down the narrow hall toward the server room, a large locked area at the end of the corridor. The lights flickered slightly, and Jack thought she could hear a slow drip off in the distance. She wondered what it was. Even Bellis wasn't rich enough to let water just drip onto the floor. As she approached the server room, she could hear the hum of the machines. It was a sound she had always found comforting, though in the dark of the sub-basement she thought it sounded a little bit eerie. She heard the door unlock in response to her proximity, and she pulled it open. She was unprepared for what she saw. The machines looked like they had been gutted, as if the intruders had opened them with hatchets or crowbars. There were wires and cables everywhere, trailing over the floor and other machines, leading toward the door. The scene was strange, but oddly familiar. Jack had seen something like this before, in images accompanying the story of the theft in Bruges. She turned slowly, surveying the scene. There were no cameras in the server rooms, since it was so rare that there were ever people in them that it seemed a waste of security euros. Jack sought to rectify the problem. She systematically went through every room of machinery, on all ten sub-basements, dropping micro-recorders in each, she made up a cock-and-bull story for her boss about checking all the rooms for theft to explain why she was on the move, and hustled between them all, checking a micro-recorder in the open door and moving on to the next room. By the time she was done, she had almost used all of the small spheres, but that was fine. The truth was she'd never had a good reason to buy them. In this way, she might actually learn something about what was going on. Once she had recorders in every room, she caught the lift back up to her floor and marched back to her desk. The group by the break area had broken up by then, but as soon as she got to her cube, she found Tony streaking over. Where have you been? he half whispered and half screeched. Did you get hauled in? What's going on? He looked like he had worked himself into a pretty good lather about the whole situation. Jack knew he was high strung, and tried to pacify him with the almost whole truth. Tony, man, we're security, she said, trying to act like a cool leader from some vid. We don't make trouble, we fix it. I was checking out the scene, seeing what we can do to figure out what happened down there. She hoped that this would calm him down, but it seemed to get him even more worked up. So it's real? His voice rose in pitch and volume. There really was an intrusion? Yep, Jack said, seeing no way out of this conversation. But it's no big deal. They took a couple of drives and wrecked up the place a little, that's all. It was probably just some pissed-off clerk. Tony got ready to panic some more, then seemed to take in what Jack had said. She breathed a sigh of relief as he seemed to buy her pile of bullshit and calm down. "'You really think so?' he asked, looking for reassurance. "'Yeah,' she said. "'I don't think it's anything to get worked up over. "'Management has to look into things, but I don't think they'll be bothering anyone else up here.' Tony looked so relieved that Jack was afraid he might try and touch her or something, so she quickly said, "'Just go on back to work. It'll be fine.' He smiled and said, "'Okay,' Yeah, it will be fine, won't it? Thanks, Jack. He walked back to his cube, and Jack wondered, not for the first time, about his mental health. She spent the rest of the day checking the views from the micro-recorders and finishing up the report for Jill. She gave him a brief rundown on what she had seen in the server room, and alerted him to the Bruges incident by suggesting elsewhere in the port that he should check out this interesting board I found. He should be able to put the two together, Jack thought. I just wish I could tell him about the micro-recorders. Maybe I'll send him a message tonight. Jack finished the report, tied it up, and logged out. As she left the security room, she saw Tony getting ready to leave also. He smiled weakly, and Jack gave him the thumbs-up sign. Man, he's a crazy one, she thought. You've been listening to Beautiful Red by M. Derisha Wayne. Find out more at darushaca dot c-a slash beautifulred or subscribe for free at patiobooks.com. The theme music is low-level format by Bjorn Fogelberg. Learn more about Bjorn's music at fogelberg.com and you can buy the album Karushi Porn at Magnatune.com. If you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. Leave a comment on the website Send email to derusha at derusha.ca, leave a comment on the Patio Books site, or call the listener line at 206 984 2976. Thanks for listening.